So I'm moving on with this series that we are doing through the miracles that show up in the Gospel of John, and we're getting close to the end now. So we've noted that there are seven miracles in the Gospel of John that John highlights for a specific reason and purpose, and we have gone through five of those today. We are on number six. That means there's only one more to go after this, and, and that's good. There's only one more week to go till we get to Easter, so we'll wrap this up next week. But today then, on this sixth miracle of Jesus that we see, where Jesus heals a man who is born blind, blind from birth. Now, before I read the passage, before I get into that, it it takes place in John chapter 9, and it's a long chapter, but I'm only going to be reading for us, looking at the first seven verses, but then I'll make reference to other events in the chapter as it goes along. Let's get a little background to this first, though, of where we're coming to, because what we've seen in several of these miracles in the previous weeks that John, at least for a while now, has had them occurring back to back to back, right? So, from miracles number two, three, four, and five, all of those things progressed one after the other in John's writing that we saw beginning in John chapter four, chapter five, chapter six, and then moving forward. Today we get to chapter nine, which means we're skipping over a couple chapters. Chapter seven and eight happen in there, and and It might be good to fill in a little bit of background. What happens between the last miracle we saw and now this one that we're looking at today? It's rather easy to explain because what happens after chapter 6. Remember, chapter 6, we saw actually two miracles in John chapter 6. That's where Jesus fed 5,000 people using just the, the loaves of bread and the fish. And that's where we saw Jesus walking on water. Both of those things happened in John chapter 6. In chapter 7, then, the scene changes. It turns. Jesus goes to Jerusalem for what is called the Feast of Tabernacles. And that event, the Feast of Tabernacles, John starts with chapter 7, and it goes all the way through the first half of chapter 10. So three and a half chapters in the Gospel of John focus on this particular time and event, the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus is in Jerusalem. That begins in chapter 7, and it's still taking place with what we're going to look at today in chapter 9. So that's the setting. That's where he's coming from. What happens then is, at first, in chapter 7, if you were to go back and read that, people are asking, so Jesus, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Are you coming to Jerusalem? And at first, Jesus says... No, I don't think I will. Because Jesus, by this point in the story, is getting into quite a bit of trouble with the religious leaders and the rulers in Jerusalem. So, naturally, when the Feast of Tabernacles starts, all of those religious authorities are asking the people coming from Galilee, so how about that Jesus guy? Where is he? And they all say, well, he's not coming. So they're looking for him. But if you read through chapter 7, Jesus actually does show up in Jerusalem for the feast, but he goes sort of uh, incognito, undercover. He doesn't tell anyone he's coming. And so Jesus is in Jerusalem, but people don't know he's there yet. They weren't expecting him. But of course, Jesus starts teaching. He starts interacting with people, and soon enough, the word gets out. Hey, he's here after all. Jesus is here. 
And so the religious authorities and, and the Pharisees and the people who were the rulers of that time in Jerusalem, over chapters 7 and 8, they're looking for Jesus. They're trying to find him because they know he's around. And, and so you see one story after another in those two chapters of Jesus teaching people, engaging with people, and it's causing division because the religious figures, the authorities are after him. They want to catch him. They want to arrest him. And in some of those stories that you read in those two chapters, in fact, they even get to a point of they're catching up to him, they find him, and they're picking up stones to kill him, to stone him to death. But every single time when they think they catch up to Jesus, somehow Jesus slips into the crowd and disappears. So story after story in John 7 and John 8 about those events happening, Jesus engaging with people, the people being divided about who he is, and then Jesus slipping into the crowd and getting away from that moment. That's what happens repeatedly over those two chapters, all in Jerusalem and all at this Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, That sets the stage then for what happens in this passage that we see today. Still in Jerusalem, still at the Feast of Tabernacles, and here's what happens. John 9, I'll read the first seven verses. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let, let me begin with the obvious, that, that this story opens with a rather unusual question. Right? The, the disciples, coming upon this man who's been blind from the moment he was born, the disciples asked this question, So, Jesus, did this guy sin or did his parents sin? It, it seems like an unusual way to open the conversation that way. But, they're wondering about something which maybe reveals some of their own thoughts, right? There, there's an assumption that takes place here. The assumption that the disciples have is that this man's blindness must be a result of sin. They, they don't ask the question of if. They don't say, well, is this man blind because of sin? No, they assume that part already. They are asking the question of, well, which sin is it? Where did it come from? That's where they're going into with that. And, and I suppose maybe the question makes sense given their assumption, right? The assumption that because this man was born blind, there must be a sin. But they're puzzled a bit. If he was born from the moment of birth, does, does that mean that, that this guy must have somehow committed a sin as a fetus yet before being born? Or is it something the parents did, which now resulted in this man being born blind? So maybe the question isn't 
that out of place, given that they assumed a connection there between sin and blindness for this guy. But Jesus deflects all of that, doesn't he? He says, no, it's not like that at all. We're not connecting this man's blindness to, to any one particular sin that either he committed or his parents committed. But it's all that way in that story of of introducing a theme. A theme that comes about that will show up a little later in this story. A theme of sin and blindness that begins with this discussion that takes place between Jesus and his disciples. And we know, we know from other parts of scripture that, that the sin, right, the hardship, the affliction, the suffering that we see in this world that it comes into a broken world because we are, bro- we are born into a world of broken sin. And we are broken sinners with a sinful nature from the time that we are born. We know and acknowledge that through Scripture. But we also see those places in Scripture where, where God testifies through Scripture elsewhere that, that it doesn't necessarily always have a one-to-one correspondence. That you can go back and make a list of every single hardship in your life and then trace it in some way to one particular sin that was committed. It doesn't always work that way. In fact, you see that throughout Scripture, don't you? How many of the Psalms give testimony where the psalmist writes and cries out, God, why is it that that the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? That they acknowledge that this takes place. Or the wisdom writer in Ecclesiastes who notes that God causes both the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the righteous and the wicked alike. You see, we we note that, okay, the question that the disciples are asking here is itself a flawed question. That there's not a particular sin to be identified in this case. And Jesus points that out in this passage, doesn't he? He says, no, 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 you're not getting this right. It's not because of a particular sin that this man was born blind. But then he goes on to say that the glory of God is revealed. Now, now here's where the Greek of the passage doesn't translate well, or it doesn't translate easily. Because if you read it the way that it comes to us in our English Bibles, it almost gives you the idea that God made this man born blind for this moment. That's at least how it sounds like when it comes through those words, doesn't it? Because he says that in verse 3. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. But the, the Greek of that passage actually puts the end clause first, which doesn't really make good English. If I were to put that in English, it would flip the sentence around. It would actually read something like, so that the works of God might be displayed this. And that leaves us a bit hanging. This what? Well, this, this man born blind. This miracle that's about to happen. This encounter with someone who is suffering with the one who can heal. There, there's a bit of ambiguity in that. So it's not necessarily the case, at least the way the English makes it sound, that God made this man born blind all for this moment that's occurring. But rather, Jesus encounters a moment in which God's glory may be revealed in what it is that he is doing and about to do. So he gives that lesson 
along with that theme that we see coming through this, a theme that begins with this question of the disciples about sin and blindness. But there's another theme that comes into this as well because Jesus has a little bit more to say. Then he goes on to the story about all the, all the work that is necessary to do during the day while it is light because when it is dark at night, this work cannot be done. So there, there's this other saying that throws into this, which you wonder, all right, how does this fit into the story? What is Jesus getting at here? He's, he's giving us a whole other layer of meaning with the theme here, talking about light and darkness, daytime and nighttime. It, it seems rather confusing. The entire setup to this miracle is a little bit of a head-scratcher. It's kind of puzzling. What are you talking about? But then... It becomes clear as this goes on. And, and we'll piece that together in a little bit where we see this all find its place. Then, the actual miracle. What Jesus does here, it's, it's verses 6 and 7. It just takes up two verses, and, and it's rather straightforward and rather simple. Right? He spits on the ground, he makes some mud, he smears it on the man's eyes, tells him, go wash it off. He does, and he can see. And that's kind of where the story ends. At least the miracle part of the story It's rather straightforward in that. So it would seem then that these few questions and observations of Jesus leading up to this miracle have some significance. This whole idea of sin and blindness, light and darkness, must somehow connect in and tie into what Jesus has just done here and is revealing. Well, Of course, we have noted along as we've gone through all of these other miracles in the Gospel of John, how John has so many layers of meaning piled on top of these stories, doesn't he? That he is always pointing to something else. And I know I've said it every week. You're probably sick of me saying it by now, but yep, Gospel of John. Two halves, right? First half are all these events that take place in the life of Jesus. The second half of John is that one week the week that begins today, Palm Sunday, and goes to Easter. All those things in the first half point to the second half. So here again, we look at this miracle and we need to be uncovering a little bit of seeing what John is doing. He's pointing us forward to something, isn't he? He's looking ahead at something, isn't he? But there's something else in this story. I want us to notice some of the parallel that takes place here. Because this story is not really all that unfamiliar, at least not in how we've traced some of these miracles already. It's not the first time that Jesus has healed someone in Jerusalem. So I I skipped over all the detail that happens in the rest of chapter 9, but after this man receives his sight, he's questioned by the religious authorities there in Jerusalem, right? And, and what they then actually do is they bring in the parents of this guy who was blind as well, and they question them. The parents are actually afraid. They're afraid of the abusive power of the religious authorities, so, so they throw their kid under the bus. Like, don't ask us. He can answer for himself. Leave us out of this. So they question him again, and he gives testimony testimony to the one who healed him, that Jesus is the one who gave him his sight back. And he ends up actually giving such a bold testimony about that, that that the religious leaders throw him out of the synagogue. They banish him. He's excommunicated from their community. 
And later on that day, Jesus meets up with this guy again. And they finish the conversation where Jesus gives the deeper meaning behind what's happened. We've seen something kind of like this before. It's back in chapter 5 when Jesus healed the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda that so many of these same events occurred. So many parallels take place in this story. Both of those stories happened in the city of Jerusalem. They both happened during the time of a festival that's taking place. They are both healings that happen to take place on the Sabbath day, which is what gets Jesus in trouble in the first place. So they both are stories in which Jesus has trouble with the religious rulers, and they both are stories that end with Jesus and the one who's healed meeting up later that day sometime. So many parallels taking place here. It's like we're reliving that same story over again in some way. But now there is a new feature, or at least some new features that should give us pause to say, wait a minute, there's something a little bit different this time. So why is there something a little bit different? What else is Jesus getting at? How is John giving us something new in this story? Well, you know, in the story before, in John chapter 5, when Jesus heals the paralyzed man, the paralyzed man never really affirms any faith in Jesus, if you remember that story. In fact, he never even says thank you. He never even acknowledges that Jesus is the one sent from God. And... Later in the day, after that paralyzed man who can now walk, after he figures out who Jesus is, what does he do? He turns him in. He goes to the religious authorities and says, that's the one, there he is, that's the one you want. Go get him. But this time, there's something a little bit different, isn't there? This time, the one who Jesus heals, this man who was born blind, gives testimony to it. He doesn't turn on Jesus. He doesn't turn him in, but but he gives a testimony to Jesus as the one who healed him, as the one he will follow, as the one he believes in. You see, some of these themes are starting to come into play then with blindness and light and day, dark and night. And we see these features all pulling in then in the way that Jesus tells this story, in the way it comes to us, in the way that it shows that there there is, in fact, a reversal that takes place here. In the beginning of chapter 9, in the beginning of this story, there's a man who's blind. All he sees is darkness. He cannot see anything. His whole world is dark. And Jesus turns that whole thing around. He gives him his sight And he gives light to his life. And more than that, he gives him the gift of faith that he can see who Jesus actually is. That this man comes to Jesus in belief, in faith. But what we also see in this story by the time we get to the end of the chapter is that it's those religious authorities, those rulers of the people, the ones who thought they had all the answers. They thought they saw clearly the way the world should be. They thought they saw clearly how God wanted them to live. And and it turns out they're the ones who are blind. A reversal that takes place here. That we begin by seeing that the one who started out as blind 
now can see. And the ones who think that they can see turn out to be blind. A little something more about the festival that's taking place here, the Feast of Tabernacles. Maybe you remember this or have learned about this one before, that in the Feast of Tabernacles, all the Israelites would go to the city of Jerusalem, and the highlight of that feast, right, the, the real celebration moment would come in the early evening. So during the time that they were there, what they would do during the Feast of Tabernacles is they would set up in the temple of the courtyard these large bowls that were elevated high on posts, and they would light fires up in these, and they would be like lanterns, lamps. So all around the courtyard of the temple, they would have these setups with these large pillars with these bowls and flames coming out of the top. And these lanterns then would light up the entire courtyard of the temple. And remember, the temple in Jerusalem is on the highest point of Mount Zion. So from anywhere in Jerusalem, you can look up and see that. So during this Feast of Tabernacles, every night while the feast is taking place, you see this light coming from the temple. And then shining down so that the entire city can see it. Remember then also, right, this is before electricity. It's not like they had street lights and house lights. And when it got dark, it was dark. But not during this festival, right? During this time, all of a sudden, there's light coming from the temple. So that's the setting in which this is taking place. And, and it's also during this Feast of Tabernacles, if you jump forward into John chapter 10, it's also during this feast where Jesus gives one of his famous I am sayings, I am the light of the world. He says that sitting in the temple court right beneath one of those lights, those lanterns. So that's the setting that's taking place here. This theme then of light and darkness would have been something that was part of the daily occurrence for these people who were gathered in Jerusalem at that time. It's not this disconnected saying that Jesus is, is just putting out there, but, but now he's talking about this time when people all over Israel are gathered in Jerusalem for this feast, this festival in which every single night the light would shine from the temple. And he's making some connections with that scene, isn't he? He's talking about the light that shines into the darkness. And he's making some connections in which he is acknowledging, you know what, there are people in this world who live in darkness. And when Jesus comes to them and they are healed, they receive sight and they can see the light, the light of God. And there are other people in this world who think they can see just fine, that they know what the light is, that they're walking in all the right ways, but because they have rejected Jesus, they actually stumble aimlessly in darkness. You see, Jesus is the one who opens the eyes of those who are lost in darkness so that they can see God. Listen to how this story ends. So I'm, I'm skipping over all of these events that take place in the middle of the chapter, and, and let me jump ahead to the end of chapter 9. Here's where Jesus ends this story. He meets up later in the day with, with this man who's he's healed his sight. He's had all this interrogation this man has in front of the religious leaders. They end up cursing him and throwing him out of the synagogue. 
and Jesus meets up with them. This is what happens at the end of chapter 9, beginning at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and they asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You see the reversal that takes place there, the ways in which Jesus uses this story to show that the healing that he brings is the thing that brings light into the world. Let's make a couple applications out of this story so that we can see how this comes forward to us today. I mean, we, we know that Jesus is always in these stories now pointing forward, pointing forward to the work that he does at the cross, pointing forward to the redemption that he brings to his people that he's calling to himself. But look at how this story highlights some of that for us. Because it shows us, first of all, it shows us that to reject the healing of Jesus results in blindness. To reject the healing of Jesus results in blindness. Specifically, the healing, what Jesus brings to restore those who are broken, those who are lost, those who come before God and say, God, I got nothing. I can't even make it one day on my own. But only through Jesus can that healing come. To reject that healing leaves people blind. You know, those religious leaders, those rulers in that day, they, they had a pretty impressive spiritual resume. They learned all the rules. They know how to do all the things right. They learned how to follow the laws of the Old Testament and live that way. They had all of the right credentials behind their name. They were born into the right family and did everything right the way they were taught. Pretty impressive. Yet, Jesus says... You're blind. You don't see it. Let's be honest for a moment and, and acknowledge how many of us come from homes and upbringing where, maybe like me, I was born in a home where I had Christian parents. I was taught all of those Bible stories from a young age. I went to Sunday school. I learned all of the things in the Bible. I learned all the habits I was supposed to follow, going to church and being generous pretty impressive spiritual resume. But unless there's a moment of coming to Jesus and saying, you know what? All those things, those are great things, but unless I'm healed by Jesus, I'm still blind. Because all those things on their own don't get me any closer to God's salvation. So to reject that healing of Jesus 
results in blindness. But, but we see the opposite of this story is also true, right? That to receive the healing of Jesus results in a vision that's fixed upon Jesus. You read through this story in chapter 9, and you find that's what this man's testimony is, right? All he says is, hey, here's all I can tell you, that Jesus is the one who healed me. I was blind, now I can see. That's it. It was him. It was all him. I didn't bring anything to it. It was a vision that is fixed clearly upon Jesus. So we see that in this story. We see that need to admit and accept the healing that Jesus brings. Another thing that we see in this story, we see that unless Jesus opens my eyes to see him, that I will never recognize the light of Jesus on my own. Yeah, we say Jesus is the light of the world. That by itself is not quite enough. Let me explain what I mean by that, okay? Because it's not as though Jesus only became the light of the world when he showed up. It's not as though somehow the light of God missed the world before Jesus came. Jesus always was the light of the world. He always has been the light of the world. The light of God's grace and his love and his covenant has always been present in the world. But unless Jesus opens the eyes of our faith, opens the eyes of our soul to see that light, I'll never recognize it on my own without the healing touch of Jesus to see it. We say this in our, in our teaching, in our doctrine, our theology. So Heidelberg Catechism, for those of you who know your Heidelberg Catechism, Heidelberg Catechism question 65 says this, It is through faith alone that we share in Christ and all his benefits. Where then does this faith come from? And the answer that we give in our catechism is this, the Holy Spirit produces it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by the use of the Holy Sacraments. The Holy Spirit produces faith in our hearts. You see that we, t- we talk about what it means to come to faith in God and have a personal relationship with God and believe in God, but, but we also recognize and affirm that, you know what? Even the step that I take to do that is itself something God prompts and moves and nudges and pushes in our hearts to take a step toward him because it is Jesus who heals us. And without the healing touch of Jesus in our lives, we are forever lost and blind. That's what he has come to do, to heal, to give light, and to restore the sight of our souls so that we may see it and have a vision clearly fixed upon Jesus. So where does this story leave you today? Right? Where, where do you land within this? Maybe this is an acknowledgement again today that, you know what? 
Yeah, I, I've been trying to walk all those steps on my own. I've been trying to make myself see Jesus this whole time and instead of acknowledging that, you know what, I can't do it. Jesus, you have to heal me in order for me to see you. Maybe it finds you there. Maybe this is one of those stories that reminds you that, yeah, it's still a dark world. And it's still a place where we stumble about. And the reminder of how much we need Jesus to restore that sight to us. And this story is a reminder for us today, on this day, as we enter this week, on this Palm Sunday, that we enter this week having a vision clearly fixed upon Jesus as the one who heals us, redeems us, and makes us one of his own. Our ability to even come before God and acknowledge in faith that Jesus is our Savior is itself a gift of grace from God. And we're so thankful for that. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the gift of your word and the reminder that we see today of all the ways that you know, we try to find our own way to see you. Try to find our own way to make our own faith happen. Thank you for the reminder today that it's only by your healing touch that we can even come in faith before you. So Lord, our testimony today is, yep, we are born in spiritual blindness. Once we were blind, but now we see because of the grace that you bring. Thank you for that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.